0: In the book of 1st John, John is attempting to counteract several heresies in the early church. But what gave him the authority to do that? We're going to talk about that today on the midweek Community. the Midweek Move, podcast extension of The Healing Places, the podcast where we examine the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves what is happening here. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, beginning our journey through the book of 1 John. Last week, we did our intro to John. If you haven't watched that, go check it out because the context is important. But uh, I'm excited because, again, this is one of those books that I think are one of these series of books, really, of, uh, that people just don't think about for some reason. And so,
1: yeah, I think that even going through, uh, you know, Peter mm-hmm. and people thinking about um, the smallness of those. But man, like we could have went on and on and oh, on, my on, goodness. on and on and on and on. first John, second John, third John, same thing. <laughs> so um, much depth. There's they, It seems small, mm-hmm. but in the midst of it, there's so much depth, so much that harkens back to even mm-hmm. uh, John's gospel. So much that reminds us of actually what Jesus taught right um and and through one who was there mm-hmm. one who was there, one who walked with Jesus, one who experienced Jesus in a whole nother level right uh than even some of the others on the Isle of patmos right so i there's and there's a ton of just practical <laughs> living for Jesus stuff in these letters,
0: absolutely, so well, guys, we're going to jump right into it. Again, if you haven't watched our, our intro, too, I do want to encourage you guys to go back and check out that. We'll have a link in the description down below. But basically, the context of what's happening here is John is running to the churches in Ephesus, and something has happened. And we've had a lot of people who have splintered away from the church. These are Jewish individuals who uh, who knew Jesus, but they have come to the point where uh, the, they're denying Jesus as the Christ. They're even denying the idea that Christ was a physical individual and John is having to bring some correction here, and uh, it's fascinating as we read through this because it's he's not doing this in a hey you stop doing it but like there's almost this loving father like tone to what he's bringing here.
1: Yeah, I think this is this is the quintessential John the Beloved. Yeah, kind of kind of moment where what the how God created him is flowing out of this in such a way that's very uh, passionate, very compassionate, very mm-hmm. loving, very kind. Uh, but it does carry weight. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I love about it is he's not just going, like you said, he's not just going, hey, you don't do this. He's hearkening back to, hey, here's what I experienced. Mm-hmm. Here's what I found out. Here's what I know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not just because someone told me, right, but my personal experience with the Lord.
0: Right. So well, let's jump into it, Pastor.
1: All right, First uh, John uh, one one. That which was from the beginning. I think that's probably a good place right there. <laughs> Just pause. That which was from the beginning. Now, if you know anything about John, you know anything about his writings, this matters right. right here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life.
0: Okay. So right here in this first verse, as you, you kind of touched on, it, John is uh, harkening back to his first letter, John (laughs) John, (laughs) where he hopes in the beginning was the word and he's in uh, the word was with God. The word was God. And of course it comes down to Jesus is the word. That's right. And so again, we, we talked about this last week in our intro, this book is anonymous. He doesn't say, hi, I'm John, the apostle like Peter and Paul have done, but we know from the context of what we're about to read, but also the style, this constant harkening back to his first letter, this is more than likely John, the apostle, the one that leaned against Jesus, if you will. Yep. And so he's coming in; here, he's establishing his authority to speak, and he begins it with his art with uh about uh say words else, but he begins it by arguing against some of these false teachings. He points out his interaction with Jesus was a physical thing. Yep. Again, this is early Gnosticism starting to take place. This suggests that Christ was not a physical manifestation. Yep. And so, but his vocabulary here is very clear. He goes, "I have heard." that which we have seen with our own eyes and we have looked upon and our hands have handled. They have been with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. And what I love is that he's not just saying his own point of view. That's just, right. he going, we He keeps bringing this whole, there was a community with us. There was the other apostles that were with us. There was Matthew and James and all these cats who were with us on the day-to-day basis. and We heard him speak t- physically to us.
1: Which is key because... A lot of the false prophets and false teachers and heretics were singular individuals. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a we concept. It was, I have a new revelation.
0: Mm.
1: I am the Christ. Right. I am a Christ. There right. was a lot of individ- individuality in a lot of the false teachings that were going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was a mistake that he's using the word we. Right. Because he's not applying himself as this divine figure. Mm. He's setting Jesus up as the divine figure, and everyone else says, this is what we have encountered, Mm -hmm. and even to the point of what our hands have handled. When Jesus comes in, in John 20, and he shows them his hands and his feet, Mm -hmm. well, how do they know that it's the actual resurrected body of Jesus? Because of what was in his hands and his feet. That was a personal witness and a personal testimony that Christ the Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, had resurrected from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, that's when he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, they they believe, which is New Testament conversion, is belief, confession, mm-hmm. receive the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, I, again, the wording of we, and I know there's some contentious of I, we, ours, mm-hmm. me, but John is consistent with yeah. this, of not just going, I, 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 but we. Right. He's separating himself from the false prophets right. and the heretics.
0: Absolutely. And this is, again, this is a community mindset. Now, what's interesting here, though, is, again, he's fighting against or he's speaking against a situation that, for whatever reason, the teaching of these false teachers, it sounded right. Mm-hmm. It sounded spiritual. It sounded like this could be a good thing. But he's like, no, 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 it's not. And so he's he's building this case. And my question for you, pastor, is: um, you are uniquely fitted, are situated where you speak to a variety of individuals, you hear from a variety of individuals on a regular basis, and are bombarded with spiritual things that sound good. Hmm. Yeah. How do you, not just as a pastor, but just as a person? Because again, this is, you know, not everyone has the training that you have had. There's lay people out there, obviously how do we sift through the bombardment of spiritually sounding good things the the itching ears type of thing, if you will. How do you sift through that to define what is biblical?
1: Well, I think number one is the authority of the word of God, Mm -hmm. that it has to line up with the word of God. Mm -hmm. Now in John's context of what he's saying there, his is we have personally experienced Christ. Like Mm -hmm. when John is speaking this, John is not reading John.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're reading John. Right. Right. We have the Word of God uh, over these centuries now. We have the Word of God now that that um, the canon, quote unquote, of scripture. And so when, when sincere teaching comes out, it lines up with the Word. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the, the prophetic is when the prophetic flows, it should not be some quote-unquote new revelation to you. Mm -hmm. It should bear witness with your spirit, something God has already put in you. You may not have been able to define it, Mm -hmm. but yet you know that the Lord's put it in you. That prophetic word confirms that, but it also lines up with the word of God. It doesn't take you away from Jesus. It doesn't put attention somewhere else. The attention stays upon the Lord. Right. And when you begin to get into false teachings and all manner of things, it begins to point to other things or other people. That's how you come in contact with cult leaders. Mm. It may sound sincere. Mm-hmm. Many of the the most uh notorious cult leaders started out pretty well. Yeah. With good intentions. Not mm-hmm. all, but many started with good intentions, whether it was in the midst of war. Uh, a culture of war, whether it was uh, uh, desiring unity and family and joy and love and all those things, or, or maybe it was a genuine uh, uh, heart to reach those that were lost. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of that, you began to point people more toward yourself than you did to the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so uh, number one is the authority of Scripture. Right. Number two is discernment of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um one of the beautiful things about the the Holy Spirit and one of the beautiful things about immersion of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is discernment, that right. we can discern. Not, oh, I like that person, I don't like that person. I like them because they're a lot like me or their personality is. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about discerning through all of that,
0: mm.
1: all the emotional stuff and your feels, And discerning the Spirit, because one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discerning of spirits, plural. And so the authority of Scripture, it's got to line up with Scripture, discernment of the Holy Spirit, man. Mm -hmm. Just the discerning of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom, um, and the gift of discerning of spirits. Um, Because... I use this this morning. I just used this morning. <laughs> but Paul comes into town. They're coming into town, and there's a, a young woman who is preparing the way for them. And what she's saying is actually true. These men of God have come, and everything she's saying is true. But she goes on and on and on for three days. right? And finally, Paul looks at her, rebukes her, and casts a demon out of her. But what she was saying was actually true. It was all true. Right. These are men of God, and they've come to do this. It was true. But the spirit behind it mm. was evil. It wasn't godly. It right. was it was ungodly. Mm-hmm. And so some would have looked at, like in today's culture, some would have looked at Paul and went, oh, he's so not compassionate. Oh, what she's saying is true. Why is he being so mean to her? Well, it's because the spirit that was behind it, he discerned the spirit was not of God. Right. Right. And actually it was the most beautiful act of compassion he could have given that woman at the time mm-hmm. because he helps to deliver her from the demonic. Right. Sets her free. <laughs> and so uh, I, I just believe that the authority of scripture, it needs to line up with the word of God, the discernment of the Holy Spirit, just that ongoing discernment of the Holy Spirit and discerning of spirits and gifts.
0: Right. Of the Spirit. So good. And these are all just these are very practical things mm-hmm. that I think that many people mistrack lose track of because we get caught in this wave of emotionalism or we're getting caught in a wave of like we're, we're just trusting the people it's so easy for us to trust our our leadership our pastors and those people what's happening to our church or
1: is, to mistrust them
0: or mistrust them you're right because of what you've been told yeah or what somebody
1: else has said or even what culture says mm. you know it it's almost like that saying oh they're a good judge of character mm. Well, even with that statement, we need to look under the surface. Are they just a good judge of character because they like that person? Mm -hmm. You know, because they, again, you can see somebody at their worst moment and say they're bad, Mm -hmm. but you never got to see their good moments. Right. So now you're writing a whole book about how horrible their life is Mm -hmm. off of maybe not even one chapter, maybe just one page. Yeah. Like it's that whole illusion of, you know, I want everybody to judge me by my best day, but I want to look at them at their worst day and let that be my judgment of them. Right. So even that concept of a good judge of character falls a little flat because that's not discernment of the Holy Spirit either. Mm-hmm. You can think somebody is not good just because they don't. You don't personally like them. Right. Personal like has nothing to do <laughs> with the kingdom of God. It just doesn't.
0: Exactly. But that's where's why we have to be personally like invest in the Scriptures, personally invest yep. with the Lord. You know, again, we can we can trust mistrust people. And Paul or Paul, uh, John here, he's like, look, I've lived this. He goes, I'm not. This isn't secret knowledge I got from somebody else. That's right. I'm not. I lived this out. This is why you can trust what I'm saying here. And he's inviting them to examine the evidence.
1: Which is probably like number four on our list is, you judge it by its fruit. Right. You will know them by yes. the fruit. And so John is saying, listen, I have a track record. Mm. Like just look at the fruit of my life.
0: Right.
1: Like I have paid a cost mm-hmm. and I have given up all and I did leave everything to follow Jesus. Yeah. Look at the fruit. Well, I bet you can look at that heretic or that false prophet, and you might be able to see the fruit of people liking them. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're popular, mm. but that's not fruit of the spirit. Yeah. As Last I checked in Galatians, I don't think popularity is in those gifts. Nope. Or in the fruit. I don't I don't think it's a part of the fruit.
0: I think we read a few chapters back about <laughs> popularity not being a good thing. <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right. Itching ears, like you said it at the beginning before we were we mm-hmm. start recording. Itching ears, itching ears to hear. What? The spirit of the Lord? No. What the itching ears want to hear. Exactly. Because it makes me feel better about right. myself.
0: Oof. Well, let's continue on, Pastor.
1: All right, verse two. Um It says, "It says the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us."
0: Okay, so he, we're seeing John's real passionate about this. So, pastor, he's kind of re-emphasizing the point that Christ did in fact come in flesh. Yep, and that he uh, and he says this, he saw it. He can testify, and he's openly proclaims or declares. The eternal life that comes from this truth, yeah. like and this, is a passion of his to bring it out. So, let me ask this: Why is it so important that people understand that Jesus was uh, was a physical individual, and that he was in fact the Christ?
1: Yeah. Well, if you can diminish the fact of even the uh, uh, the historical figure of Jesus Christ, then that brings into question everything else. Mm-hmm. That's just like we were talking about the authority of the Word of God. Why is it under such scrutiny when it has been one of the longest lasting, most enduring, um, uh, quote unquote, pieces of literature? How can you not see this as the word of God and more scrutiny than anything else? Mm -hmm. Any other work that's ever been created, it's been under more scrutiny and still lines up with history, still lines up with the archaeology, still lines up with with other authors that never met and their dates and their times and all those things still holds up to all of that. Yet, if you can bring the Word of God into question, then you can bring the historical figure of Jesus Christ into question. Then you can bring His virgin birth into question, His perfect life, His sinless life, His death, His resurrection, all those things mm-hmm. leading ultimately to an unbelief in the one true God. Right. That's where it all leads, yeah. is unbelief. Yeah. Whether that's atheism, agnosticism, or some other religious belief, that is the enemy's goal, is to remove belief and faith in Jesus Christ because he is the way to the Father, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. hmm and that way to the Father does ultimately lead to eternal life, which John is saying, right? That it's not just about Jesus and his life. It's not just about Jesus and his death. It's not just about Jesus and his resurrection, but we also bear witness to the fact that we it will be manifested to us in the in the time to come of eternal life, right. That is what has been secured for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, back to your question i i think that when we when we look at every aspect of christianity the enemy would like to bring question to any of it and all of it but he'll do it in subtle ways to a piece of it mm. because if he can discredit that then he can discredit and we talked about um last week we talked about how uh, there wasn't any evidence of that historical figure of David. Mm-hmm. Yet something is found with with David's likeness on it and literally saying that it's David. Right. Which archaeology, then, boom, it's like, okay, there was a David. Well, why is that such a big deal? Because Jesus was the son of David. If there is no David, then we can say there was no Jesus.
0: Right. Exactly. And for those listening, when he says last week, he doesn't mean midweek move last week, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the online gathering from our, our church, of the healing place, which if you want to, the. The title of that was The Authority of the Bible, which was a really great conversation. I uh, want to point out the fact that there, there was a, I read somewhere, I was talking about the marks of, of a cult. What makes a cult a cult? And there's a lot of things to it. But the two key things that pop up is, one, that they deny the authority of the scriptures. And then they deny the position of Jesus as the, as the Christ. And there are some cults that are out there, they're like, oh, Jesus is Christ. But then they they devalue who that what that means, who he is. Because now it's like, well, we have this church leader who kind of dictates more.
1: Yeah, there's a. it's almost like a, a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus started this thing, but I'm the new prophet. Right. Or I'm the new this. Or I'm the new Christ. I mean, we yeah, yeah. see that all over the world.
0: Exactly. Today,
1: I'm the new Christ. Yeah. Mm, no, I don't <laughs> think
0: so. So again, that's, that's... Number one,
1: you wear glasses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Healer heal yield I Some of you guys will
1: get that. <laughs> some of you, I don't think Jesus stopped by lens crafters on his way to the cross and was like, ah, oh, I got some issues with my eyes. It's like, no, you're healed. Like I'm healed.
0: <laughs> lens crafters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's uh, funny. <laughs> sorry. I digress.
1: Just to add a little levity to the situation. Oh
0: man. Well, let's get, let's continue on the conversation. Verse three, Pastor.
1: All right. Uh that which we have seen and heard. We declare to you, again, He, he's. it's not a broken record. He's trying to reinforce mm-hmm. that this is something that they had personally seen and heard. We declare to you now that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ.
0: Right. So John is now sharing his purpose for writing this, which is that to have, so we can f- share in the fellowship with us. Now, us, share fellowship with us. That's the apostles. Now, the Greek word here is, uh, that word fellowship is koinonia, which mm-hmm. is, uh, it gets tossed around in church culture. It's very popular. We used to have a cafe called Koinonia at one point in time. Um, the question because what does that mean? There was a... a um, a theologian named Glenn Barker and he said this talking about in refer- when the is used a is reference to the supernatural life with Christ and he says the supernatural life is disclosed in the incarnate Christ it is the eternal life that comes from the father and becomes the life shared individually and corporately by the company of the believers meaning there this conia aspect there's a personal aspect of it but then there's also in the body of Christ as a whole so my ask mm-hmm. my question for you is in a very practical way, what does koinonia looks like for you as an individual, but also within the body of Christ as a whole?
1: Well, for me individually, I think koinonia is represented that in Christ, all the socio-cultural, economic borders and walls are down. Mm. That somebody doesn't have to be just like me for me to have fellowship, because now our fellowship is in Christ. Mm-hmm not in likes, opinions, uh, hobbies, but it's in Christ. So I can be with somebody that's the polar opposite personality of me, but we can have, because we're in Christ, we can have a fellowship and a love for one another that cannot come from a natural love of this world. Mm -hmm. That's how we can say we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Some people just say that, others live that. Mm-hmm. That's supernatural. Right. That can't happen just in culture because culture says that I have to be f- exactly from where you are, your exact experience to understand everything. And as a matter of fact, if I'm not, then it's going to make you less than me. Mm. In the body of Christ, it says that all those things are gone. Mm hmm. And now it's in Christ. That's our commonality. And we know that through Scripture, Jew and Gentile, the middle wall of separation was torn down through who? Christ. Not through Paul, not through Peter, but in Christ. That was a major, major, major barrier. Yeah. Like, if we think of some of the biggest barriers in our culture now, that was Jew and Gentile. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, Peter argues with God after getting a vision from him. Argues theology with God. Right. This is unclean.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How can the clean be unclean? How can the unclean be clean? Mm. Like, are you kidding me? And the Lord rebukes him. And the man who's who's sent the people, Cornelius sends the people to get Peter. And Peter has to work through all of this with this argument with God after God shows him a vision, gives him a clear word in the vision, mm-hmm. and he's still arguing about it. Right. That tells you how deep that was. Because in Peter's mind, I can't cross the threshold of that Gentile's door.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't enter into his house. And God is sending me to that man's house. Right. I can't do that. In Christ, you can. Right. That's the commonality. And we see it when Peter goes, Cornelius goes to bow to Peter. Now, in a normal Jewish sense... Pride would have rose up and said, yes, Gentile, you're less than I am. Bow before me. But Peter says, get up. Mm. Get up. I'm a man just like you. I'm not here to tell you about me. I'm here to expound what you know about God. I'm here to expound that and tell you about Jesus Christ. and, And beyond that, the holy spirit and as he's speaking the holy spirit is poured out in the whole place they're all filled with the holy spirit they're all speaking in tongues they all get baptized in the name of the lord jesus like all that happens in his house that was a major major you can bring it to today different cultures different different dividers different socioeconomic barriers you can Take it to politics. You can take it wherever you want to. Whatever the greatest divider is for you, Cornelius and Peter, in Christ, all of that fell down. Mm. And neither man needed to hold to his opinions or his hobbies or his likes or his dislikes because now it was all about Christ. And in Christ, it was about holiness and righteousness. Yeah, All that other stuff was gone.
0: Yeah. So good. Yeah, the uh, this whole aspect of the... The relationship between us and people, I think that why do you think the church struggles with this mindset of dealing with that? Because again, we we've had this conversation. It's not church hurt, it's people hurt. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in in, uh, in other conversations, but there's still this thing stuck in our head. That people go, "It's me versus some other people." What what causes that struggle? Because it's even happening here in the story. Church, it's the separation of this of the of these groups. It's going well, it's us versus them. It's no longer of a I've lost a brother let me restore them. Why do we struggle with this as a as a community sometimes?
1: Well, I think because it's just a it's a shadow of culture. Mm. And to be honest, I think a lot of it has to do with that we instead of becoming more like Jesus, we become more like the world mm. with a religious look mm. and a religious fragrance. Right? And the church has been one of the worst at it. Mm -hmm. We've divided everybody. We've put everybody into segments. We've told them that only somebody who's called to three- to five-year-olds can minister to three- to (laughs) five-year-olds, that only somebody can do this. And we've segmented everybody, and instead of it being a whole body where the whole body ministers to one another, we've done exactly what culture has done. We've divided everybody up, and we've divided them up the the way that we see them we've divided them up in and once we do that then we are not doing it in Christ because in Christ someone who's 80 has something of value for somebody that's 3 mm. in Christ someone who's 70 years old and has never touched a drop of alcohol never smoked a cigarette never cussed never done one drug can minister to a 22 year old crack addict mm. But in our culture, it says you can't do that. Mm -hmm. We need an expert in that field. It needs to be somebody who understands 22-year-old crack addicts. No, no, no. In Jesus, I understand sin. I understand the effects of sin. I understand isolation. I understand what it's like to be isolated from God. I understand what it's like not to know who I am in Jesus and have no identity in the world try to identify me either by my behavior or my addiction. And so we're going to get this specialized care and we've brought it into the church, not into this building, but in the body of Christ. And we've done all this specialized care. And what we have lost is we've become an organization just like every other one instead of an organism, which is a body.
0: Mm. So let me ask you this then, speaking to the leader who's looking at his church and he goes, man, we've lost this since Econia. I've, I've inadvertently separated the body and I've seen things creep in the church and we're having this disruption. What's your advice to, to that leader on how to course correct and bring the body into proper alignment with what Christ has for him?
1: I'm probably the last person to ask <laughs> this question because I struggle with it like everybody
0: else. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of the question, though, is you're not coming up to us as a, I am perfect. I am the, the end all. You're, you're another pastor who's walking through this. You've you've been burned through the system through some of the process. You've seen things work, so that's the reason why I want I really want your input on this. How have you seen it work, and how would you maybe course correct some stuff you've done in the past?
1: I we've tried things, and again, trying things is a lot of times it's not even about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Sadly, um, we've tried a lot of things to try to force that to happen, and I, you can't force it. Mm-hmm. And I know this word is overused in culture and church, mm-hmm. but it really does need to be organic. Right. But it, for it to become organic, it has to be a cultural thing. Mm. It has to be a culture that has been set up where people can connect to all manner of people. And how you do that within the context of a faith community can look a lot different, whether it's community groups or small groups or it's where you have people meeting at people's homes. Yet their kids are with them, and there are children, and there are adults, and there are older people. And I've given the example of like Lizzie going to a, you know, Lizzie and Demera mm-hmm. going to a to a, a small group of yeah. women, and those women were like thirty to forty years older than them. Yeah, and all single women, uh, whether it was widowed or whether it was just single, and here are these two young ladies who are going to a small group of way older ladies Mm -hmm. and people would look at that and go, Well that's not gonna work. It worked. Yeah. Why? Because those young women desired to be around those ladies to learn from them, but also had something to give those ladies. Absolutely. Why? In Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Like in Christ. And so I don't I don't think there's a, a magic formula for it. I think it I think you just have to create a culture where, and I'm not saying it's easy, Mm. you know, we, for a season, you know, we, we've had kids in during worship, Mm -hmm. man, that's a challenge. (laughs) I mean, it's a challenge. And there would be some that'd be like, Hey, it'd be more comfortable if we would. Yeah, maybe, but would it be God? Mm. You know, again, I think that's a cultural thing. If I'm comfortable, that means it's God. Yeah. And that's totally not the case. Right. Many times it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. If I'm uncomfortable, it's the Lord because I'm growing, I'm stretching, I'm having to go beyond my natural flesh. I can separate everybody. It's, I use this illustration all the time. Give me a meth head and we'll go out to a cabin in the woods for 30 to 45 days and we can get them away from that atmosphere that's affecting them. Yes, they're going to go through withdrawals. Yes, they're going to. it's going to be tough, but... There will come a time where they'll be okay, but that time is going to be when they are still going to have to come back to that environment. If you haven't taken the time to teach, if there hasn't been a transformation, mm. then they're going to come back to the same thing. And that's kind of what we've done in the body of Christ. We've separated everybody out, and we've isolated them in their own quote-unquote groups to where we've even called it that. <laughs> right. They're groups and we've probably played more to the flesh than we have the Spirit. Yeah. Because the moment you say, my group, that's playing to the flesh. That's not, pl- mm. that's not playing to the Spirit. Right. It's playing to the flesh. Because we want to take ownership of something. Right. We want it to be ours, mine,
0: mm.
1: rather than us, yeah. the body.
0: Absolutely. It's, the index
1: finger wants it to be his, right? The right. pinky wants it to be hers. Right, but it's like no, we all have a we all have a place to play. This pinky over here needs this pinky, mm-hmm. and this index finger over here needs this one, and we're all a part of the body, and we need one another. Right, but when it's not about the head, then that body ceases to be the body and just becomes flesh. Yeah, there's no spirit.
0: Yeah, so good. I don't know if that answered your question or not. I think it did. <laughs> We've
1: tried and failed a lot. And, uh, some of it was good ideas that I thought was the Lord, mm-hmm. um, not within impure motives. Um, and there, but I will say this until I'm no longer breathing, um, to have the people of God accessible to everyone in the body is a must mm-hmm. not to divide people out. Yeah. Yes. Can somebody who's been through divorce and is single now help somebody who's going through divorce and is going to be single? Absolutely. But why doesn't a woman who's 80 years old, who's been married 60 years, have something to say to those two other people? It's like, again, I I think we've we've mirrored culture more than
0: we've mirrored Jesus. Mm. Man, that's a dangerous place to be well Pastor, let's, uh, let's continue on with verse four here
1: all right and these things we write to you that your joy may be full all right
0: so here in this passage we see John he's kind of wrapping up this this kind of this intro of it and he says that um, you know we're writing this for a very specific reason that your joy would be made full and there's there's some contention about this vocabulary of yours some uh, translations use. Our joy be full. Uh, this one, the New Living Translation, they use uh, this vocabulary, your joy. And the reasoning for it is that it, it, it more likely it does say our joy. But it's not that John's being like, I want to be happy. But in context, what is he talking about? He's talking about everybody part of this koania. Yep. We're, part, we're sharing in this. My joy is your joy. My weeping is your weeping. We're together in this. He's echoing, echoing the conversation of, of one body, one mind. But... The the vocabulary here of having your joy completed. What does that mean? Does that mean we're just going to be bright eyed and bushy tailed? Oh, yay, all the time? Or, or is there a deeper meaning to the conversation of having your joy completed?
1: Well, there's many um, there's many uh, commentators and theologians who believe that it's the eternal joy mm. that your joy may be complete is the heavenly reward. Right. When we shall be like Him. Mm-hmm. And I tend to kind of fall that way, um, that when he says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Future tense. Mm-hmm. Even takes on the connotation of will be right in the future. And whether he is saying that your joy may be full now, that doesn't mean happiness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean everything is good. But joy of the Holy Spirit is not, again, it's not a fleshly thing. It's a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. And so you can have, like nobody would say that they love, quote, unquote, self-control because <laughs> your flesh wants to do what it wants to do. Exactly. So how in the world can you have joy while you're battling self-control? Well, because they're both a product of the Holy Spirit. Right. Both of them. hmm Peace, love, what? Joy. But guess what's also there? Self-control. Like, sometimes we try to equate, and I don't know if this is just an American thing, it's probably a global thing, but we try to equate terms with terms that we have Mm -hmm. that make sense, and it's always feel good. Mm -hmm. So we try to equate joy with happy. Right. Because when we use the word happy, that means I feel good. Right. And so then we feel like that we have no joy because we're not happy, and that's not true. Mm. That's through some of the worst times of my life I've still had joy. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I was smiling every day, but I still had joy. Right. And what does that mean? That means that never once did I question my salvation in Jesus. Never mm-hmm. once did I question my commitment to Jesus. I questioned myself mm-hmm. and my flesh right. and didn't feel great about that, but sure. I had joy in the Holy Ghost right. because I never thought, okay, the world would be better without me. I'm going to hell. Jesus doesn't love me, none of those things. It was more an indictment upon myself rather than upon Christ. right. And that's how our joy can be full. But I still believe that he is speaking of, because he's already he's already told them um, in verse two about the eternal life. He's yeah. already connected that. Uh, and so I would take my cue from that that he's mm-hmm. connected that saying that our our inheritance in Christ is secure with a heavenly reward that our joy may be full. Right. And I think that's backed up by other New Testament writers as well.
0: I'd agree to all that too.
1: That your joy may be complete. I think Paul even mm-hmm. uh, spoke about that. And that was about a heavenly completion.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, guys, here in 2nd Mass, Pastor, give us his final thoughts on on this, uh, what we talked about today. I want to hear from you. Like, how is these first four verses? Just four. That's all we've covered today. <laughs> wow. How. Uh, how how' it challenged you? How's it encouraged you? Uh, let us know how we can pray with you though like the, like we don't just do this just to talk. <laughs> we, Pastor and I talk a lot by ourselves over coffee, which is great. but we want to know from you guys how can we pray with you? how can we encourage you? reach out to us media hub at thbstreeport.com. Pastor, what's your big takeaway from these first four verses? um
1: I just the the uh, the wisdom and compassion of John Mm -hmm. in this expression to the people. There were some heavy, heavy things going on. There was a lot of division, a lot of strife, a lot of unbelief, Mm -hmm. Um, and yet the way in which he lands, and I do believe that it is we and us and ours, and he is so, it seems... There are some things we can't say 100%, but it <laughs> seems like he's being very intentional with the, that wording. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not separating himself yeah. as the guy, mm. because that's actually what's been happening Exactly. to where he's having to bring correction. Mm-hmm. And it would be stupid for him to do the same thing <laughs> that he's trying to bring correction Don't trust for. their secret knowledge. Trust my <laughs> secret knowledge. <laughs> that's right. And that's why even he didn't say, I have heard it. I have seen. He's like, we. Right. We, there's a there's a fellowship, a koinonia, which has witnessed all these things and lived these things, Right, you can too. I think that's really what he's saying. He's like, we have done that, and you can do this too.
0: Absolutely. I think as we read through John, we're, what we're going to discover is this the vocabulary koinonia and this togetherness, it's going to play a part in every aspect we'll read over the next few weeks through John as he talks about what it takes to be in fellowship with God. Coeneo with God, Coeneo with the body. How that plays out—that is going to be an essential aspect of this book moving forward, and even into the following books of Second and Third John. Yep. So, well, guys, again, we want to hear from you. Media Hub at TeachReport.com, or check out Midweek Move on Facebook. Reach out to us, listen, we pray with you, encourage you. We want to help you take your next step with God. These aren't just things that be thrown out there. This is a midweek move to make a move with your relationship with God and grow and to become what he's called you to be. Until next time, have a great week.